Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast special Tuesday feature called Hermeneutics Tuesdays. Yes, that's Tuesdays with an H, where we are seeking to become better interpreters of the Bible one 10-minute episode at a time. I'm your host, April Spears. Let's learn stuff together. To the right of my computer sits a gorgeous Alabaster Co. version of the Gospel of John. The book features stunning photography, elegant typeface, a spacious layout, and the words of John's Gospel in the modern style of the New Living Translation. Everything about this carefully curated presentation of the biblical text shouts, this was written directly to me. Except it wasn't. The Gospel of John was written to Christians living in the Greco-Roman world of the late 1st or early 2nd century. It was written in their language and with their culture and assumptions, you know, those things that went without being said, in mind. As Walton points out, God did not somehow mystically bridge the gap between us and them and implant culture-specific messages to outsider readers without the awareness of the author, end quote. Remember, the human authors of scripture were fully awake and engaged the whole time. Divine inspiration is not paranormal dictation. A popular author today may write with an awareness that their book will probably be translated into other languages and used in other contexts. But every author knows that you have to have a clearly defined target audience. That audience cannot be the whole world and all future generations. That would make the writing process total chaos. You write for your people and hope that your message transcends that immediate context. If it does, those readers who exist outside of your target audience are going to have to do some extra work to understand what you've sought to convey. That's especially true if you wrote your book in English and their only language is Korean. In that case, there's a culture gap and a language gap that has to be overcome. Both a translator and what Walton calls a cultural broker will be needed to bridge that gap in order to understand the author's intent. Well, the same thing is true of the Bible. Each human author had a target audience to whom he wrote, and that target audience was not us. Now, it's also true that God always intended for their writings to transcend their immediate context and speak a fresh word to his people in every generation all over the world. So even though the Bible was not originally written to us, it was written for us. But before we can grasp the message for all of God's people in every generation, we have to do the work of discerning the message the author intended for his target audience. And that, my friends, is the work of biblical hermeneutics. Now, I feel like I'm always throwing out examples from the first few chapters of Genesis, mainly because it was utterly life-changing for me when I finally learned how to read those chapters in their own ancient Near Eastern context. But let's give the Old Testament a little break and look at a New Testament example for applying this principle. There's a story in Mark 7 that has always made me cringe. 
What's even more notable is that the cringy words come straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. Here's Mark 7, 24 through 30. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. All right. So there it is in black and white, maybe red. If you have one of those red letter Bibles, (laughs) Jesus calls a woman, a dog. And he calls her that because of her ethnicity. Now, if we're treating this passage like it was written directly to us, we have a big problem. Jesus comes across as straight-up racist here. But let's see what happens if we account for the fact that it was written for us, but not originally to us. Thankfully, our English translations help us bridge the language gap, Now, if we're seeking to bridge the culture gap, we first have to acknowledge that the books of the New Testament were all written to be read aloud and performed in front of audiences. No one had their own collection of scrolls at home back then. First century Christians did not read scripture. They heard it spoken aloud in community. Knowing that these narratives would be performed, the biblical authors included things that would intentionally stir up certain reactions in the group. Just like modern storytellers and filmmakers, they wanted everyone to gasp or laugh or cry at certain moments in the narrative, and they crafted the stories accordingly, as any good artist does. So I want us to imagine that we're hearing Mark 7, 24 through 30 with a whole audience, a first century Jewish audience in particular. It probably would have been received more like this. All right, so I'm going to read you the text of scripture, and then I'm going to try to convey the audience reaction. Verse 24, Jesus departed from there to the land of Tyre. Audience reaction what? What's he doing in Tyre? That's where our enemies are. He entered a house. Audience reaction. No way. It's bad enough that he goes to Tyre. He's actually going into a house. That's a Gentile house. What in the heck is he doing in a Gentile house? And he did not want anyone to know it. Audience reaction. Well, of course, he shouldn't be there in the first place. Of course, he didn't want anybody to know. It's shameful. A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. Audience reaction. Ooh, she's bad. The woman was a Gentile. 
audience reaction. Ew. A Gentile. A Syrophoenician by birth. Audience reaction. Double ew. This woman is the worst. She's a Gentile, a Syrophoenician Gentile. Her daughter has a demon. I mean, this is like the uncleanest of the unclean. And she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Audience reaction. By this point, they're all looking at each other in utter disbelief. Oh my gosh. The nerve of her to ask him that. She's crazy. Jesus is going to let her have it. And he said to her, let the little children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Audience reaction. There are audible cheers. Yeah, Jesus, you set her straight. She is nothing but a dirty, nasty dog. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Audience reaction. Oh my word, the nerve of this woman. She just won't let it go. Jesus is really going to have to give it to her now. You can almost imagine them leaning forward in anticipation for the next insult that's about to roll off his tongue. Then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Audience reaction. An audible gasp. What? He, he did what she asked? He healed her daughter? Are you, are you kidding me? Now, what I hope you can see from this rereading with the audience reaction is that Mark's target audience would have been completely stunned by this plot twist at the end. The dog comment, that made sense. The healing, that didn't make sense at all. And Mark knew the kinds of prejudices that were active among his audience, and he used those prejudices to his advantage in order to craft a narrative with shock value. Now, read through our cultural lens, Jesus sounds racist. Read through theirs, Jesus is taking a sledgehammer to the racial divide. The initial insult is written into the narrative to get the audience excited that Jesus is about to cut her down to nothing. And he does that so that Jesus's act of healing her daughter would induce a palpable sense of shock and awe. And that shock and awe is part of the meaning Mark intended to convey. We will never, ever see or know that meaning if we do not apply the principle that the Bible was written for us, but not originally to us. Now, this principle that the Bible was written for us, but not to us, was one of the first hermeneutical principles I ever learned. 
and it has by far had the most impact on how I read and interpret the Bible. This one principle, when consistently applied, can single-handedly prevent a whole slew of errors. It forces us to remember that our pretty Bibles full of words in modern English that look super new deliver to us a sacred text that is in fact very old and very foreign. And a sound hermeneutical method is how we bridge the gap. So as long as you're willing to listen, I'm going to keep learning and sharing so that we can all get better at it. The principle we'll cover next week is reading the Bible instinctively is not reliable and risks imposing a foreign perspective on the text. Sounds like a juicy one, you guys. I can't wait. I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, friends.